Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. All right, let's go ahead and stand uh, for Scripture. We're going to be reading Scripture today. Go ahead and please stand for the reading of Scripture. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you, God, that we get to be together as the body of Christ to worship you, to love you, to praise you. You are worthy. We give you all praise. Our hearts are devoted to you. God, thank you. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, it says, come to me. This is Jesus speaking. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you, God, that your burden is easy that your yoke is easy, that when we walk with you, you give us rest. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I need a better burden. Come on, turn to your neighbor, other neighbor and say, I need a better burden. You may be seated in the house of God today. I need a better burden. A better burden. Uh, Before I had the baby, I thought I was busy. But then I had the baby, and I thought to myself, wow, when people say that, it's so true. Sometimes cliches are a cliche for a reason, because they're accurate. I thought I was busy, but after having a baby and stuff like that, I was not busy at all. I had so much free time in my life. But I feel like when you talk to most people today, you ask them, how are you today? And they reply, not great, not awesome. They typically reply, busy. They'll be be like, how are you doing today? I'll be like, good, good, busy, busy, but good, yeah, good, but busy. They're always, people seem to be busy now more than ever. And it kind of feels like people are kind of busy as a personality or an emotional state. Or like, it's like they're a personality trait. Like on their LinkedIn, they say, my personality is busy, you know? Uh, And so, and busyness isn't that bad, but I feel like when people say they're busy, they don't want to be busy. When people say that they're constantly doing stuff and constantly going, it's like they're a little dead in the eyes and they're just like, I'm good, I'm busy, life is good, I'm, I'm doing what I think I'm supposed to be doing, but... There's something missing in our hearts. There's something missing in their hearts as they say, I'm busy, 
I'm busy, but good. Because the truth is, is routines are good. Routines and rhythms are good for our life. Uh, school just started back up not too long ago, and parents and kids are starting to get back into the routine and rhythm of school. If you're a college student, you're getting back into the routine and rhythm of college. If you're working, you've just been in the routine and you never got out of the routine. So good luck and keep going, all right? It, it, uh, it'll, it'll stop eventually, and then it'll just get cold. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, but routines are good for us. Routines are good. And they're good because it's ideal to be productive. It's ideal to be fruitful in what we do. That's the goal, right? To be productive and fruitful. That's what the Lord said to us. Be productive and fruitful and multiply, right? He's, we're, we're supposed to be productive. But I have a feeling that when people say busy, I think what they really mean is distracted, People are distracted. And so although they do your normal stuff, you know, unless, you know, maybe you're living in New York, but I'm talking to people right now in this building that live in Toledo, Ohio. It's not a crazy big city. You might be watching online. What's up? I'm happy that you're here. But here in Toledo, um, it's not like crazy busy. So when we say we're busy, I wonder if we really mean that we're distracted and unfocused on the goals that God has for us to achieve. And if we're not careful, we can distract ourselves into spiritual oblivion. If we're not careful, we can keep doing thing after thing after thing, uh, even if it's good stuff. I'm not saying that it's all bad, but I'm saying we can distract ourselves into spiritual oblivion because busyness and sin have the same effect on us. They cut off our connection to God to the people around us, and our own soul. When we're busy, it's like we're sinning. Not that busyness is a sin, hear me, I'm not saying that, but it it cuts off our connection to God because you can be busy with good things, but those things, if they're not God, it's probably not that great, right? It's probably not producing something in you. And I kind of feel like the problem is without God, Our souls work and wander for rest, but never find it. Our souls work tirelessly and wander aimlessly for rest, but never find it. And there are solutions out there. There are solutions. You can Google it, but the devil has a solution for your life today. And the devil's solution is make yourself so busy and distracted that you don't even notice. It doesn't matter. The devil's solution for your life is just to talk to you, have things going off, your phone constantly pinging, you constantly have new goals to set every single month. I'm talking to myself, nobody here. But uh, the devil will try to make you so busy that you just forget the fact that your soul needs rest. But have you ever finished a Netflix show and you're supposed to feel at rest, but something's missing? Have you ever finished a vacation and you got home and you realize, I could use another vacation. I mean, come on. Like, there's something about it that just because we experience moments of not doing anything, that doesn't equal rest. And so today we're going to talk about that because I was watching The Good Place, which is a pretty good show. Um, not that great, but it's okay. Uh, made me laugh a few times. But it's all about what happens in the afterlife. And their premise is essentially that heaven is a pleasure factory and that when you go to heaven, um, you can do anything, get anything, and everything goes your way. 
And at the end of the show, I won't spoil anything, but at the end of the show, uh, after billions and billions and billions of eons of enjoying the quote-unquote good place, all the main characters find themselves still wanting their souls to be at rest. And I thought it was profound because as they were talking in that show, my heart turned to worship by saying, God, the world does not know that we need worship because our worship and devotion to God is what leads us into rest. It's what leads us into the promised place. It's what leads us into the paradise. It's what leads us into the good place, the real good place. It's worship that leads us into God's kingdom, into God's rest. And so my heart began to hurt a little bit for the world because they don't know that there's a creator that loves them. And so you might be here in the room today and you might be feeling, I don't know about this Jesus thing. You might be a little agnostic. I, I, I believe that there's a God, but I don't know about who's right, who's wrong. You might be an atheist where you're just like, you know what? All the matter is what matters. All the stuff that we can feel, taste, and touch, that's all that matters because after that it's done. But I want to suggest to you that that is not the truth. The truth is, is that there is a God who loves you. There is a God who wants you. There is a God who created you, who cherishes you, who wants to be in relationship with you because he cares about you and he knows about you. And he wants to lead you into, into rest. So we fill ourselves with anything and everything. We hunger for, and long for rest, but our souls remain uncomforted. C.S. Lewis called it the kingdom of noise. And we fill ourselves up with knowledge and understanding information, just like we did with the, um, with the wisdom series that we talked about. But we fill ourselves, but yet remain empty. And I wonder, with all this busyness, with all this distraction, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out? It's so, like, we hear so much, I feel burnt out. Who's ever, who's ever said the phrase, I feel burnt out? I feel overwhelmed, I feel tired, I feel burnt out. I'm about to lose it, okay, you know, be cool. But, um, but I feel like I hear that statement all the time. I have good news for you, there's a better solution. Okay, so we're gonna take a deep dive, a little bit of a deep dive, that's the premise, we're gonna take a deep dive into studying this scripture. It is my joy to study scripture, and so I'm going to nerd out on you for the rest of the time, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to be like, I did it. No, I'm just joking. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we're going to start off with the first three letters of this scripture that says, come to me. Everybody say, come to me. The Gospel of Matthew was written partly as an evangelistic tool that was meant for Jews and for Gentiles. So the Gospel of Matthew was penned for a purpose. There was a reason why Matthew wrote it, and it was to be a way that the gospel message could be spread for all people, but he wanted to talk to Jews and Gentiles specifically, which is really all people, because Gentiles is everybody that's not. But I wonder, have you ever been on the outside of an inside joke? That's how the, that's how the Gentiles felt often. They felt on the outside of this religious practice that the people would feel, but Matthew's gospel is all about saying you are welcome. And so when he pens these words and he writes these words down and he shares these words with people, he's saying that there is a God who says, come to me 
when you are feeling weary. And so God is calling you into a personal, real relationship because God is not a mythical creature. He's not Greek mythology. He is a real person that died and was resurrected three days ago, three days later, not ago. Whoa, that'd be cool. But God was, Jesus was resurrected and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he brought his Holy Spirit so we could know him intimately, so we could know him personally. And it's for all people. So you don't have to have it together to be invited. In fact, your very burden is what is your invitation, right? It is your burden that is your invitation. Okay, so he says, so it's not just about historical facts. And it's our singular devotion and commitment to God that is what he's saying. He says, come to me and give me your commitment. Come to me and and I will lead you. Come to me because I want a relationship with you because there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to truth and that's Jesus. There's only one way, the truth and the light. And that is God, that is Jesus, Yahweh. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The next part is all who labor and are heavy laden. In the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, we had the perfect blend of rest and work. So here he's talking to people who are working. We had the perfect blend of rest and work. That means work is good. Turn to your neighbor and say, work is good. Work took place before the fall, okay? And work will take place in heaven. But the problem is, is that sin ruined work. It became hard and tiresome. And we became easily distracted, unproductive, and unfruitful in our work. And we constantly missed the mark. But Jesus wants to redeem your work. So you may hate your job, but remember who you really work for. You're not not working to get a paycheck. You're working because it's worship. Work is worship. Work is our devotion to God. Work is the way that we bring about a new creation onto earth. Work is the way that we express the kingdom of God into the marketplace. Work is our worship, and we can... um, We can boast about God's goodness when we work. We can evangelize God when we work. We can evangelize and move the gospel forward when we work because work and worship are simultaneous. They happen at the same time. And so when we give God our life, he can make your crappy job pretty amazing because he can give you a whole new purpose and understanding for what you're supposed to be doing. So complaining, doesn't. there's no room for complaining for a Christian at work. Because it contradicts the grace of God that he has on your life. It contradicts what God has given you. The very grace that God has given you to work and to be um, fruitful. Complaining has no place in a Christian's mouth. Because God is good. And we're supposed to be working for the Lord. Not just for our bosses. Amen? All right. The next part is, I will give you rest. Everyone say, oh, you didn't even know what I was going to say. Everyone take a deep breath. I will give you rest. Very good. The body needs sleep, but the soul needs rest. The body needs sleep, but the soul needs rest. And I am the type of person that um, when there's no rules, I have a weird relationship with rules. When there's no rules, okay, I, I am so upset. I'm not happy. I'm like, someone, we need to get some rules. We need to get some systems. We need to get some structure in place. We got to get this thing together. We got to put a hierarchy here. We got to do this stuff. 
And then once when the rules are in place, I find myself being like, yeah, I don't, I, I got to break these rules. I got to go, you know, I don't like these rules anymore. It's for you, not for me. I'm above the rules, you know. When we put these rules into place, um, it kind of makes me nervous. And so that's kind of what happened, right? Some rules are good. Rules are good things that, that we're supposed to do. Laws are good. Laws keep structure of society together, and uh, they make us, uh, well, they're good for us, okay? That's all I'll say. And, uh, and so what happened in the Bible is that um, God gave a law of rest. He says, you should rest. You should rest. On the seventh day after creation, I rest, so you should rest. But then what happened is, is as this law was being passed down generation after generation, they became really religious and legalistic in their rest. And so if anything were to happen that would cause you to not rest, they'd be like, sorry, bro, talk to me Monday. You know, I'm busy. I can't, I can't do it because I'll break the law and I don't want to be guilty before God even at the expense of the people. But the, but the reason why we have laws is to help people, right? The reason why God brought the laws is to, one, honor and worship him, and to, two, love your neighbor, right? It's the greatest commandment. Love God, love people. It's what we're supposed to do. That's why we have the laws in place. And so what would happen is the Pharisees got a hold of this, though, and through generations, they started making it really difficult to rest, And when you would break the law, the penalty would be high. And so Jesus comes into the picture and he's like, listen, the Sabbath is not something to hang over people. It's something to give to people. I am God of the Sabbath. Jesus is God of the Sabbath. He says, when you're tired, you come to me. Because we're we're meant to be in rest and relationship with God. So this... uh, Here's the deal with rest. Rest keeps our eyes on eternity. Rest keeps our eyes on, the ter- on eternity. Because here's the, here's the truth is it's a rhythm, right? So God set us up as a rhythm. We are to work six days and rest one day. And now I need to tell my, my millennial friends and my Gen Zers that we are to work six days, Okay. The Lord has called us to work. When we enter into the Lord's rhythm and do the things that the Lord would have us do, right? We are to work six days and rest one day. We are to work faithfully as worship, but then we are to rest. And I think part of the problem why we are so distracted is because we're not working well. We're not working well. Because when you're at work, you're on your phone constantly. Or when you're at work, you're constantly chit-chatting and you're not focused, and you're not actually helping the people that need to be helped. You're not helping the people that need to be served. And then when it comes to your day off, you're distracted again, thinking about things that you should be doing, thinking about all sorts of stuff that you could be doing. But the point of the work and the rest relationship is that we work, and it's good for us to do that, right? But then we enter into rest, and we remember God. We remember all that he's done, and we also keep our eyes focused on eternity. It's a reminder that we're not, that our work that's coming up doesn't have to be monotonous. It doesn't have to be something that we just do. It can be as an act of worship. Amen. So next part is 
take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So I have a video of an ox. It's a pretty cool ox. It's coming. Uh, And so yoke, when I was growing up, I thought a yoke was the yellow part of an egg. Turns out it's not. It's actually that bar that's hanging across the two ox that are working. It's the bar that is the burden on the ox as they are working, right? And so you have the mature ox, which is the black ox, and then there's a brown ox that is, that is being taught how to work. But they're working together. They're plowing the field together. And there's this burden on them that helps them push and plow. But I wonder, what kind of burdens are we putting on ourselves? What burdens are we actually adding to ourselves that we don't need to put on ourselves? What burdens are we putting on our life that we don't need to put on our life? And I wrote down a couple, and I wonder if creating your own identity has become a burden for you. Creating your own identity. Has it become a burden for you to define who you are? Or creating our own God that suits us, right? Following a Jesus that we can pick and pull things out of the scriptures, but is not actually the real Jesus. Impressing people or being impressive. Is that a burden that you put on yourself on a daily where you choose the clothes that you choose because you want to impress people? You chose the career that you chose because you wanted to impress someone. And there's a burden that enters into our life when we are trying to impress people or be impressive. What about loving things that don't love you back? Loving material items. Loving people that don't love you back. Loving a career that doesn't love you back. What kind of burdens are you taking on in your life? Is it following a new age spirituality that leads to, at best, self-righteousness and narcissism? Are you following something that is leading you astray from the gospel? Are Are you full of shame and regret of your past? Are you full of something that is a burden that you were never designed to carry in the first place? Are you full of regrets? Or are you full of the fear of the future? Wondering what's going to happen, what's, what's the world going to do, what's the world going to act, how's the world going to act, and I'm worried, and I have a burden on my shoulder. But Jesus invites us to do life his way. He says, come to me, and I will give you a yoke, and you can learn from me. So what do we learn from God? The mess- I love how the message version says it. It says, learn the unforced ris- rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Culture defines grace as a free pass to sin. Culture defines God's grace as the ability to just sin and do whatever you want because you're going to be forgiven anyways. But that is not the way that the Bible defines grace. Grace is a gift that we don't deserve. Grace is an empowerment by the Holy Spirit to do something you couldn't naturally do. And grace is supernatural favor. So God is saying, Learn my ways, learn my grace, learn my burdens. My burden is grace. Here's the truth, is that when we do things God's way, he gives us the supernatural Holy Spirit empowerment to do the things that he's called us to do. And it's a free gift that we cannot earn, that we don't deserve, that we couldn't put it up on the scoreboard and say, see how I earned it? No, grace is a free gift, but not to stay still, not to just do nothing. Grace is not an excuse to just 
you know, try spirituality out. No, it's a grace to practice, and it's a grace to walk, and it's a grace to pray for people, and it's a grace to preach the gospel, and it's a grace to lead people, and it's a grace to work. It's the grace to toil. It's the grace to bring the kingdom of heaven onto earth. It's a grace to do things that God has called you to do. Grace is an empowerment by the Holy Spirit to push back the kingdom of darkness, to say, no more violence. I'm going to bring peace into this house. I'm going to break every generational curse i'm going to set back the enemy and i'm going to believe and declare and and believe in my heart that god has good things for me that there is a favor on my life that when i walk into this door people want to see me there that when i walk into this job people want to give me a, a promotion that when i step into this relationship it's going to be healthy and i'm not going to bring what the old had for me but i'm going to step into the new god has given you grace to do the impossible God has given you grace to do the immeasurable. God has given you grace to push back the darkness, to push back the boundaries. God is giving you grace. He's given you grace. He's given you grace to change the world. So young soul, don't feel discouraged. God has given you grace to make an impact in your school. Teachers and college professors, God has given you an impact. God has given you a grace to make an impact in the schools. Wherever you might be working, God has given you a grace to make an impact, to make a difference. That grace is favor. That grace is God's love. That grace said, that grace is putting something on you. God putting something on you. That says, this is my people. These people are blessed. These people are highly favored. Not so that we can hang it over other people, right? Not so that we can get all about ourselves and get all egotistical. But it's so that we can say, I didn't deserve it. And so if you feel like you don't deserve it, come hang out with me. I know Jesus. He forgave me of my sin when I didn't deserve it. If you're feeling lost and broken, come, come to church with me because I know some people that have been set free from shame, from sin, from bondage. I know some people that have been redeemed. I know some people that have been set free. So if you're feeling that kind of way, come with me. I know somebody. It's like that VIP pass when you're trying to get backstage to see some pretty cool artist or something like that. And they're like, come with me. And you're like, it's that type of favor to walk into something that was hidden from us. It's that type of favor to step into something that was once separated from us. But Jesus came to remove that veil and to let us know that there is a grace on your life to do the impossible, to make a difference, to make an impact. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, there is a grace. There is a grace. I wonder how you would describe Jesus. I wonder how you would describe Jesus. What words would you use? All right. Go ahead and shout it out. I want to hear like three people. What words would you use to describe Jesus? That's all I heard. Okay, cool. (laughs) Great job. All right, I'll go ahead and read mine off. So I would think that people would say something like, Powerful, king, ruler, prince of peace. And you are right. You are absolutely right. He is the lion. But the way Jesus describes himself is interesting. He says, I am gentle and lowly. I am gentle 
and lowly. And it's interesting because when we describe Jesus, we would say powerful, but he says gentle and lowly. Lowly, uh, I'm sorry, uh, gentle means meek and humble in heart, right? It's a strength that's under control. To be gentle is to have strength to be all-powerful, to be king, to be ruler, to be the creator of the universe, and yet have it under control. Because the God, because our God, the, our God Yahweh is kind, gracious, gentle, slow to anger, abounding in grace and mercy and compassion. He is slow to anger. He is slow to wrath. He's quick to listen. And he's quick to be there. He is gentle and patient and lowly, meaning he's approachable and accessible. For pretty much all of hum- human history, when someone is lowly of stature, it means that they're the, they're the, out, they're the outcast. We need to, they don't get to come in. They, they don't get to sit in the front row. They, they kind of stink. I don't know. Like Lowly people are the people that we don't let come in. They're, they're the ones with the problem, Right? And so why would Jesus, the ruler and the creator of heaven and earth, say that he is lowly in nature? It's because he wants you to know that, he, that you can come to him anytime, no matter your position, no matter when you feel lowly. He wants you to know that you don't have to have it all together, but in fact, your mess is what qualifies you to come to Jesus. Jesus isn't like coffee snobs, right? I walked into a coffee shop the other day, and um, I asked them, I said, well, Sarah was ordering a matcha, and uh, she likes her matcha sweetened with agave. So I said, could I get that sweetened with agave, please? And he was like, what's agave? Who knows what agave is? Most people, especially when you're working in a coffee shop. I, I was like, can you sweeten with agave? He's like, I don't know what that is. And I don't know how to say it back to him in a non-snobby way. Like, how do I say that to you? Like, you know... It's a, it's a natural sweetener, bro. Like, I don't know how to tell you without sounding snobby myself. So I was just like, do you have honey? I got honey. I was like, okay, I'll take some honey. Thanks, bro. <laughs> and so, but it's weird because God isn't snobby like that. He isn't trying to get you to be on the inside crowd. He isn't trying to get you to uh, be impressive. Like, that's how you need to come to him. He's saying that you can come to me even when you don't know what agave is, and he'll still forgive you. Come on, that was supposed to be funny. Okay. <laughs> uh, God's promise for you is rest, um, and you will find rest for your souls. God's promise for you is rest. Rest is salvation and healing for your soul, to be restored and recovered fully. That word rest means something more like revive. He will revive your soul from the dead and make you lay down in green pastures and lead you by still and quiet rivers. He will revive your soul from the dead. He will revive your soul, your your heart of stone. He will make it a heart of flesh and he will breathe new life into you and he will cause you to come back to life. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God wants to give you a better burden this morning. If I could have... Christopher, come on over here. I want to show you more. What, uh, 
God's burden is like. So we saw the, the ox, right? Working and plowing, right? They're walking together. God's burden is more like this. And he's walking. And he's like, I will walk with you, Christopher, when you're in your school, when you're in your hallways, I will walk with you. And I will show you my ways if you'll learn from me. And I will give you rest when you're feeling tired from your sports. I will give you rest when you're feeling tired from the study. I will give you rest when you're feeling overwhelmed by family expectations. I will give you rest when you're feeling like you don't have it all together. I will give you peace when you feel chaotic. I will give you strength when you feel weak. I will give you joy for your soul when you feel sorrowful. I will give you strength when you feel weak and I will take the burden off of you and I will lift it off of you and I will walk with you patiently when you mess up I'll stop and wait for you to get it right and wait for you to come to me and then we can begin walking again God wants to take your burden and make it lighter thanks Christopher God wants to take your burden and make it lighter God wants to walk with you and show you a better way God wants to show you a better life to live and it is your greatest life that you can live walking with God is your greatest life and Jesus burden is like offering a life jacket to somebody who's drowning. Technically, yes, it's putting something on. God is saying, take on my yoke, take on my learnings, take on my practices, practice and do things the way that I do them. So throwing a life jacket to someone who's drowning is they have to put it on. And yes, it's technically adding more weight, which is ultimately going to bring them down. But once when that life jacket inflates, they got grace to swim longer. They got grace to do it better. They got grace to survive. And so Jesus is saying, I want to be your life jacket. I want to lift you up. And when your body feels tired, like a heavy burden, and you don't feel like you can keep going, and the things that you thought would give you rest, don't. The alcohol does not give you rest. Pornography does not give you the rest. A fear of what people think does not give you the rest. Having all the right drip and all the fancy stuff does not give you rest. What gives you rest is my soul. What gives you rest is my spirit. And your soul can find rest in my spirit. Your soul can find rest in my spirit. Your soul can find rest in Jesus this morning. So how do I know if something might become a burden? How do I know if this good thing might become a burden is when you're walking with Jesus just like how we were doing we were walking and you say can I take on this extra sport can I take on this extra um, people group or can I take on this extra job to make a little bit of extra cash can I take on this extra thing in my life can I pick up this video game can I pick up this uh, whatever it might be you know your thing can I pick this up and still walk with Jesus? Because I have a singular devotion to God. I have a singular commitment to God. He is my highest priority. So when I walk in my life, if I can't walk with him and do this thing, this thing's gotta go. Because I'm gonna walk with Jesus because I'm tired of being burnt out. I'm tired of being strung out on religion. I'm tired of being overwhelmed with work. I'm tired of being tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired 